Happy Valentine's Day, you guys. Thank you for joining us this Sunday. We love you and appreciate that you have joined us for worship, for fellowship, for prayer, and to hear God's word. You know, this is the first Valentine's that with a new normal of quarantine, and I remember how it was before. I want to remind you guys that, hey, chivalry is not dead, and raising uh, three boys, um, want to set an example for them and model Christ-like love and humility, but also uh, romance. I remember when we only had two boys, when Judah was about four years old and Noah was about two years old. Um, I took the kids and I went from an early age, it's like, hey, this is how we honor your mom, we respect your mom and treasure her. And so what we did was I took them to Costco and I got uh, Renee flowers, a dozen roses. I got her uh, Valentine's Day card, uh, balloons and everything. I said, okay, guys, main thing is you guys got to be quiet. This is a secret. You know, your mom loves surprises. So please, you know, can you guys do that? Can you keep a secret? You know, zip your lips. They're like, okay, promise, promise. Uh, it's like, all right, so mom's going to come home. Just, you know, uh, don't say anything that we went out to get uh, her her Valentine's Day gifts or anything like that, all right? So I'll hide the balloons and all that stuff and the flowers and the chocolates. I'll hide it in our laundry room, okay? You guys got it? Okay, cool. And so Renee gets home after worship practice, and the kids are beaming with excitement. They couldn't contain it, so they they heard mom even though they were supposed to be sleeping, they come out, it's like, mom, mom, whatever you do, do not go into the laundry room where your gifts are, your balloons and your flowers and your chocolate. Don't go into the laundry room, okay? Till tomorrow for your surprise. Uh, can you believe those guys? But uh, now they're a little bit more trustworthy. Um, but anyways, would you open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 20? This morning, we're going to go through and discover the his story, the history of God in Exodus. So we're going to look through the meta-narrative, meaning the overarching principle or the overarching theme in the book of Exodus and how God is a God who delivers. Now, um, there's a scholar, his name is D.A. Carson, who's the president of Trinity Theological Seminary, he says that the Exodus event is the greatest redemptive event in the whole Old Testament. You know, for us as Christians, we look through a different lens where we see the cross as the central figure of our redemption. Well, for the Israelites in the Old Testament, they saw the Exodus as the great redemptive act of God. Um, there's a book by Randy Alcorn that it says uh, cross-centered life and from that you know there were literature about cross-centered parenting, cross-centered marriage, cross-centered uh, ministry. Well uh, if we were to contextualize it the Exodus was so important it would be like the Israelites would have the Exodus-centered synagogue the Exodus-centered life, the Exodus-centered um, parenting, the Exodus-centered marriage, that the Exodus event, which not only covers 
the God's miracles to deliver Israel out of Egypt, but it also includes uh, God giving of the law. It also includes God providing for them through the wilderness. It also includes God leading them into the promised land. This whole meta-narrative of God's deliverance, saving his people, is central to the Exodus uh, story and uh, God's love in the whole Bible. And so... Um, Let's not waste any time here. Uh, if there's one thing I want you to walk away from this morning, it's this. And this is the main point. Would you write this down? We have been set free so that we can live free. Let me repeat that. We have been set free so that we can live free. So God, who not only is our creator, but he is our redeemer. He has set us free for the purpose that we would live free. Last time I checked, there was 4,200 religions in the world today. But it is only Christianity that preaches the gospel of the good news of Jesus Christ. That you believe in Christ. And once you believe in Christ his life, death, and resurrection, then you're instantly saved. Every other religion preaches and teaches that everything is a process and that you have to work your way up to nirvana, that you have to earn your way to enlightenment, that you have to earn your way to be in good favor with God, and that you to have uh, balance out the karma. But that's not Christianity. The God of the Bible is here to set us free, free from the yoke of slavery, of sin, the power and mastery of the human sinful nature that God has set us free in order that we could live free. Galatians chapter 5 verse 1 says that it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, so that you don't go back to the yoke of slavery. Jesus says that you know, for us to go back to our sins and to go back to our old sinful nature, to the old John, it's like a dog going back to its vomit and eating its, its own vomit again. And so the question begs then this morning is, are you living in freedom? If you are in Christ Jesus, the history of God, of God working, is that He has set us free and we are to live as the free people of God. So let's look at uh, the first point here in the book of Exodus and God's story. Would you write this down? That God is actively working in the lives of His people. I love that. God is actively working in the lives of His people. Somehow, some way, there's this uh, fallacious uh, belief. There's this erroneous misunderstanding of God, especially in the Old Testament, that God is a distant God. There's this theism where people believe in a God, but they believe that God is like an absentee landlord, that he created the heavens and the earth and he worked, but for the most part, he's just some guy up there 
in his rocking chair, just, oh, oh, stop that. And like he's helpless and he can't do anything and he's shocked by what's happening in the world. No, God is not static. God is not passive. The creator of the heavens and the earth and your redeemer is actively involved in your life and in my life. And we see this in the book of Exodus. Look at Exodus chapter 2. So chapter 1, it kind of sets a background on how the people of God were suffering. And the, the yoke of slavery was um, heavier and heavier. And they weren't allowed to procreate because the Egyptians thought that they would be overtaken by um, the Jews. And here we are in chapter 2. Verse 23, it says, their cry for rescue, they're referring to the people of Israel, their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. Do you guys see that? This is um, one of the earlier instances where um, injustice came up to God. Um, It's um, when Cain killed Abel, it says the blood of your brother Abel cries out. And here we are, we see that there's injustice and the, their cry for rescue came up to God and God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel and God knew. Ooh, look at those four verbs. Look at those action words of the activity of God in our world right now that God heard God remembered God saw and God knew we see here in Exodus chapter 1 and 2 that God is a God who sees and who remembers he hears their groaning remembers his covenant he sees the people of Israel and he knows personally their suffering In Exodus chapter 3 and 4, we see that God is actively at work and He reveals and He calls and He makes promises. He reveals Himself to Moses. He calls Moses unto Himself and that He promises to bring deliverance to Israel. In Exodus chapter 5 through 15, We see God actively at work in that He sets Israel free, that He uses miracles, He uses plagues, He uses miracle after miracle, He provides for them. He does everything to prove that He is God and that He redeems and He saves His people. In Exodus chapter 16 through 18, we see that God, He sustains the redeemed, that He provides for His people, whether it's water in the desert, manna from heaven, whether it's a pillar of cloud by day to give shade and comfort, or a pillar of cloud of fire by night to give uh, direction and light and warmth. God sustains His people because He is actively at work. God makes a covenant in Exodus 19 through 24. Exodus 25 through 7, 25 to 27, God 
is actively at work and that he dwells with Israel. That's like, hey, I'm going to live with you guys. I'm going to tabernacle amongst you so that you would know that I am here, that I'm active, that I'm alive. Every step of the way, I'm with you guys. Pastor Mark Dever says this, the message of the Bible is that God will save his people. So at any point, whether you drop into Habakkuk, 2 Timothy, Isaiah, or Deuteronomy, it's going to be connected somehow to this main trunk road of the good news of what God is doing in our world. From Genesis to Revelation, God is active, God is saving, God is at work. And since it is Valentine's Day, and I do love you guys, I have a Filipino word of the day, which is also a Bible word of the day, which is the prophetic book of Habakkuk. How would a Filipino use the word Habakkuk in a sentence? Hey, Manong, did you want something to eat? Because I have a cook. I have a chef. I have a cook. We'll cook Filipino food. Anyways, um, from Genesis to Revelation, God is at work. God is dynamic. He is active. He is involved. He may feel distant, but he is as close as your breath. The whole message of Christmas is that God, the incarnation of God himself, and, he, and his name is Emmanuel, God is with us. This morning, I don't know what you're going through. It may feel like God does not know. It may seem like God is not involved. But might encourage you to the authority of God's word that God is active. God knows your suffering. God sees your tears. God hears your cries. And God will move and he will act for your good and for his glory. So God is actively working in the lives of his people. That's what the whole, one of the meta narratives or this overarching theme of Exodus that he saves and that God is active. Number two, would you write this down? Obedience is grounded in our redemption. Obedience is grounded in our redemption. Let's look at Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 to 3. And this is the Decalogue, or the giving of the Ten Commandments. In verse 1, And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Therefore, you shall have no other gods before me. Did you guys catch that? That this is a very important um, sequence that we must not mix or confuse. That there's, this is the sequence or, or the order that there is no ambiguity. God gives the Ten Commandments, but before He gives the Ten Commandments, He tells them, I am the God who has set you free. 
obedience and doing good works and living for Christ is only built on the foundation that you and I have been redeemed and rescued and been saved by God. It's striking here that God has freed Israel. He has led them out. And upon that basis, he gives them the law and he gives them the instructions. It is not, it's not like he gives them instructions and if they obey, then, then God will set them free and God will spare them. No, 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 no. God reaches down and he sovereignly saves, he rescues, he redeems, he restores, he liberates Israel. And in, in the course of doing, then he says, upon saving them, you know what? I am the Lord, your God, who has freed you from the land of slavery. Here is the covenant that, here are the rules that we're going to live by. Here's the contract, of, as it were, that I'm going to make to you. This is the anti-gospel, this moral therapeutic deism that's infiltrated the church. And the anti-gospel is that you have to obey and do good so that you could be saved. That we have to do good works, we have to do the Ten Commandments, then God will set us free. Listen, there is no contest over here. This is not like, oh... Which came first, the chicken or the egg? I don't know. If the egg came first, then where did the chicken come from? No, this is not what I'm talking about. God sets His people free. And upon God's freedom of His people, they are to obey and they are to live and do good works. We do, we do not obey and do good works to be saved. But... Because we are saved, we do good works and we obey. God redeems and He rescues His people. It's just like the baptism of Jesus, right? That He was baptized first. And upon His baptism, the heavens open up. A voice is declared from heaven, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. This is my beloved Son, my favored Son. I approve of him. And then the spirit descends on him like a dove. Before there was any public record of Jesus performing his first miracle, before Jesus fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, before Jesus did any sort of ministry and doing stuff for the Father, he was first loved. In his baptism, this is my beloved son. In other words, from the place of belovedness as a son, then Jesus was able to minister. And in the same way, for you and for me, fellow believer, it's from the place of forgiveness of our sins, from the place of having been redeemed of God changing my heart of stone, the stubborn, rebellious heart, God took that and He put a heart of flesh where my heart is fertile to receive His Word. 
that God loved me unconditionally, that I don't have to do good stuff, I don't have to go to church, I don't have to serve and minister to be loved, I'm already loved. And from the place of being loved, from the place of being forgiven and being set free, then I have the freedom to serve. Then I have the freedom to give. Then I have the freedom to follow the Lord and love God with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength. Church, we must never get this confused. Even in Genesis, Abraham believed God. And it was credited to him as righteousness. He didn't, have, he didn't get circumcised first. He didn't try to leave his land and do all this other stuff first. But he believed. And upon that um, confession of faith and belief in God, then he was counted as righteous. Number three, we'll close with this, is that Jesus is the ultimate Israel. Let's go to Luke chapter 9. We'll just fast forward to Luke's account of the transfiguration. Verse 28, it says, Now about eight days after these things, he took with him, Jesus, Peter and John and James, and he went up on the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered, and his clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, verse 31, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Did you guys see that? In verse 31, they spoke of his departure. Now, the Greek word for departure there, Luke is a physician, he's a doctor, so he's very precise and he speaks and he writes with clarity he could have used a slew of different words for departed there or left but he chose the word exodus exodus luke here he uses the word exodus or exodus to speak evocatively he wants to evoke something. It is meant to call to the biblically literate reader's mind back to the Exodus, that Jesus is the ultimate Israel going to depart. He is going to leave and he's going to exit. Now in Luke uh, chapter 19, like 10 uh, chapters down, we see here it's a fulfillment. Uh, if you could just... Uh, Track with me for, for a moment here. Luke 9, he talks about Jesus went on his exodus, on his exodus. And in, starting in chapter 19, uh, multiple times it says, Jesus set his face towards Jerusalem. Jesus set his face. This is usually common as Luke, this is usually referred to as Luke's travel narrative. And Jesus is the ultimate Israel in that his exodus, setting his face to Jerusalem, he becomes the Passover lamb. That through his incarnation, that through the cross, 
through the resurrection, through his ascension, he sets his people free. That Jesus is the ultimate Israel. In theology, we refer to this as typology, meaning that there's types or there's figures in the Old Testament that would refer to a a type of, of who Jesus would be. Like, for example, Romans 5, it talks about uh, Jesus was the greater Adam, okay? We talk about David and how he, uh, Jesus is the son of David, that he's a greater David because he did not fail. And Israel was supposed to be the people of God, but yet they failed. But here, Jesus is the ultimate Israel. He's the greater or the greatest Israel, the son of God himself. Remember in Matthew's gospel, out of Egypt, I called my son. And the reason why I'm going through all this is because the absolute last thing that I would want you to walk away with in this series of his story is that you're going to remember people's testimony and you're going to remember, oh, it's... um, or even in your own life, oh, it's because of my decision to follow Jesus. Oh, it's my uh, self-will. Once I started really reading the Bible, once I started serving, then my life started going around. Once I decided to turn over a new leaf, or once I started attending New Hope Community Church, it's not about church. It's not about your self-will. It's not about your spiritual discipline. It's not about your good intentions. It is about Jesus that salvation comes. You need rescuing. It doesn't matter if it's relational rescue, if it's financial rescue, if it's a physical rescue or a spiritual rescue. God, who is the great who's a greater figure, he he intercedes and he interjects into time and space and he rescues his people. And so I encourage you this morning with a question, are you living free? Are you living free as a people of God? Jesus in his exodus to the incarnation to the crucifixion, to the resurrection, and to his ascension, Jesus has paid it all. He paid for the penalty of sin, that you, he died our death that we deserve. But Matthew's gospel says, and you shall call him, you shall call him his name Jesus because he will save people from their sins. You notice it doesn't say he shall save people from the power or the penalty of their sins but he will save people from their sins and this is who Jesus is that he is savior and he is lord are you walking in that freedom are you living in victory has the sin of and the mastery and control of sin been broken in your life? Or are you? do you keep going back to your old ways? You keep going back to the old self, your old way of thinking, the old way of um, your old priorities. Because this morning, God's story is a God, is that He is a God of redemption. He is a God of deliverance, that He is actively at work in your life. 
what use is it if he pays for the penalty of your sin, but yet you have no power over sin in your life right here and right now. So I'm going to pray for us this morning and I'm going to encourage us to turn to Jesus our Savior. Maybe you're, there's habitual sin in your life that Jesus wants to break and Jesus wants to save you and rescue you and he wants to bring deliverance and victory in your life. Jesus paid it all. He went through the second exodus so that we could be set free. We have been set free so that we can live free. Amen. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, we thank you, God, for this morning. And we do ask right now, Lord, for freedom for your people. Your word says, he whom the Son has set free is free indeed. So, Lord, would you give freedom to your people right now? Lord, freedom from the bondage, Lord, of selfishness. Freedom from the bondage of pride. Freedom, Lord, from the manipulation, O oh God, of self-righteousness. Lord, I pray, O oh God, that your, your story of redemption and, and deliverance would continue on in our lives. I pray right now for your Holy Spirit empowerment to be upon your people, that we could live in freedom. Lord, that we're not where we wish to be, we're not where we ought to be, but, the grace, but by the grace of God, we are not who we were because we've been changed and there's freedom available to your people. So Lord, I pray God we would walk in that. We don't have to create it. We don't have to fabricate or um, manufacture freedom. We are already, we've already been set free. All we gotta do is live that out. Not by might nor by power, but by your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, you guys, well, thank you so much for joining us this Valentine's Day. Uh, we're so grateful for you guys, and we can't wait. RSVP, mark your calendars, March 7th. Next month, we're going to have our first live in-person in service in over a year. Uh, make sure to uh, keep up to date. We love you guys. Take care.